If you want to support this podcast and get a full ad-free episode, sign up to Headstuff Plus. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. I'm Connor Reed with words to that effect. Stories of the fiction that shapes popular culture. All right, let's do this. Where have you been hiding that? Yeah, he's been playing all day. Haven't yeah. you noticed? Yeah. <laughs> why would you? If you had that, why would you not wear it all day? This is, in case it's not clear, the beginnings of a Dungeons and Dragons session. Gathered together a few weeks back is the staff of the podcast studios where I work. I forgot mine. I was going to bring mine. Um, I watched a video about Dungeons and Dragons over the weekend. Though. You're a pro. Uh, I'm a a pro, and B the guy was like, "Don't wear a costume." <laughs> they don't really do it. It's just from television. You don't have to be that guy. And then I was like, ah, but there were eight of us, seven complete novices, myself included, and Julie, an experienced dungeon master who was the only one who actually knew anything about Dungeons and Dragons and was very patiently showing us all the ropes. She'd written the story, set everything up for us, and given us our character sheets with our skills and attributes and provisions, and so on. I decided to make an episode on Dungeons and Dragons, or D&D as it's usually called, because I realised it was such a huge part of literature and popular culture that I knew jockingly little about. I've talked to and read interviews with so many authors who credit D&D with helping them to become a writer. As a dungeon master, a DM in particular, so this is the person who creates the world and narrates the story which the players adventure through, you're a storyteller. You're creating a compelling, engaging, magical world out of nothing. You're populating it with good and evil characters and then bringing players inside that world. What better practice could you ask for as a budding writer of fiction? So D&D is this hugely influential part of popular culture, even if you've never played it. And it turned out I was in the same boat as the rest of the team at the studios. They'd all heard of D&D, they'd seen it in films or TV shows, and some knew a little more than others about the mechanics, but none of us had ever played or really knew that much about it. So we got some beers and snacks. I turned on the mics, and Julie explained how it was all going to work. So the saving throws box and the skills box. Okay. Saving throws and skills. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, So basically, if you want to do something, I'll tell you what to roll, and then... Pretty soon we were telling our elaborate backstories. I'm a dragon man. I speak. Oh, if we encounter any dragons, I can speak to them. I can drive full license. Full clean Her skill led her to be the leader of the clan by the age of 16, just a couple of years before she discovered her full potential. By the age of 18, she fell in love with that. Very resistant to poison. And really, for the first time in my life, I seem to be kind of just the muscle in this operation. (laughs) (laughs) As wide as he is tall, Bucklefast Belly is a thing of legend (laughs) in the rock gnome community and is often rubbed for good luck by friends and admirers. Having spent his youth with his rocky nose in books and timepieces, Bucklefast soon found himself as a hundred-year-old gnome with no social life no love interest and no direction. <laughs> <laughs> and just generally making fun of each other. 
fallen over upon uh, exiting. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, She's an absolute liability. Why are you doing that? So how did we get here? A bunch of people in their 20s and 30s from Ireland, the US and Peru sitting in a recording studio trying to kill a particularly belligerent goblin that wouldn't tell us who we work for. To get a bit of perspective on all of this, I called on the services of another D&D fan, one who's been playing since the 1980s. My name's Kurt Carbonell. I'm an associate professor at Khalifa University. I wrote Dread Trident, tabletop role-playing games in the modern fantastic, to sort of address what I thought to be this massive, under-theorized archive of role-playing material for science fiction and fantasy studies. And that's what, that's what brought me back to Dungeons & Dragons after not playing since I was a young kid. Professor Carbonell's book looks at quite a few different TRPGs, tabletop role-playing games, but it all started for him, like for so many others, with D&D. You know, I started the book project by starting a, a Tuesday night D&D session at my home. I just opened it up. This was probably 2015 when the fifth edition came out. So I'd, I had been looking at the playtest rules for a couple years because I knew they were going to do a new edition, and I had, a, I had a young son. And so I hadn't played D&D since the early 80s. And I, I had to drop it, actually, because my dad was a preacher, and an evangelical preacher, and I don't know if you, I don't know if you know what happened with with D and D, but in the early '80s, it was a worldwide phenomenon, and there was a cultural backlash, and the, and the evangelical Christians got all upset about it. So this seems kind of strange, forty years later, but there was a moral panic in the 1980s where a number of groups in the U.S. vigorously campaigned against D and D on the basis that it was corrupting young people and promoting Satan worship and demonic possession. So I wasn't allowed to play. So I kind of dropped it until I was an adult. And I thought, hey, I'd like to do this with my son. So I started back uh, researching and I said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to start a game. I'll DM and I'll open it up to whoever. And it ended up being a four-year thing and had some great people come in and it was all adults, all sort of experienced with D&D and you know, on that nostalgia kick, coming back to it. Some of them were younger. Some of them were younger and had been playing. And then that, out of that, the book project started. So Dungeons & Dragons is nearly 50 years old now, which is incredible. There's such a huge compendium of knowledge around it, which is something I'll come back to. But long before D&D, there were other tabletop games, war games in particular. Kriegspiel, German for war game, was a method of military training used by the Prussian army in the 19th century to study and develop tactics. Opponents would have armies represented by small coloured blocks laid out on a map, and they would decide on movements and strategies which would then be given to an umpire who would decide who was victorious in each situation. I don't know if you have ever played Diplomacy. So this is a tabletop war game where you need to form alliances with other players and then invariably backstab them in order to conquer different countries. You can play online as well, where everyone has 24 hours to complete the round of turns. I played with six other friends in the first COVID lockdown, and it took us a full month to complete the game. And it totally takes over your life. You're thinking about your next move all the time. You're agonizing over permutations. You're making side deals. You're wondering who's going to betray you. It's absolutely exhausting. It's also a good test of friendship. No, I won't buy you a pint tonight. Not after you invaded Piedmont, when we'd expressly agree that you wouldn't. So anyway, from Prussia in the 19th century, this method of rigorous tabletop wargaming soon caught on with other armies in Europe and elsewhere, 
And it's still very much something that is practiced today in more high-tech forms in militaries all over the world. But in the mid-1970s, two Americans interested in wargaming changed the rules entirely. Gary Gygax and um, Dave Arneson took that sort of scenario of two armies at a table with very strict rules and a referee and said, hey, let's throw in some magic, right? And of course, in the 60s, Tolkien had written his big fantasy epic. And so, and Dungeons and Dragons started in mid-70s. And so that was the response of sort of uh, sword and sorcery. Tolkien was less an influence on Dungeons and Dragons and more of an influence in culture in terms of bringing, you know, fantasy into culture. And this desire to make wargaming fantastic. So what was it? 1977, I think, was the first edition of Dungeons & Dragons. The the advanced edition. There there were two or three uh, supplements that came out in the early 70s. And, you know, this was very niche still. The advanced Dungeons & Dragons and the basic uh, rule set that came out were sort of, the basic were for kids. And, like, that's what I played in 1980. And the advanced was for more adults and more complex rules. So Star Wars came out in 1977. So this was the beginning, I think, of you know Spielberg's um, Close Encounters. Right, we we had this sort of shift happening, in which the fantastic as a mode and an impulse was starting to be recognized uh, in pop culture. Um, it, those are still an, uh, anomalies, I think. But you know, all through the 80s, there was this kind of movement. So by the by the mid 80s, it was a phenomenon around the world, right? And what it allowed people to do was to say, hey, I read you know, let's say sword and sorcery novels like Ari Howard's Conan, which was a big influence on Gary Gygax, the founder. And he's like, I don't want to just read and imagine, I want to play. So they took the wargaming rules, they added magic, they added the divinities and pantheons of gods and devils and all that sort of thing. Um, and slowly a lore developed out of the gameplay that, were, that were, we would see in published adventures and campaign settings. And that lore has been growing ever since. There are the official rule books and other resources which govern the mechanics of the game, as well as all those decades of world building. And that's both the top-down elements as well as all of these worlds that get created with each individual game. No two are alike. And D&D campaigns made up of individual sessions lasting maybe three, four hours. They can last months, years. There are some that have lasted decades. Of course, Dungeons & Dragons is by no means the only tabletop role-playing game, even if it is by far the best known. Pick your favourite genre and there's a TRPG to suit you. You know, so Dungeons & Dragons is very much um, high fantasy, high magic in essence, right? Um, And then you've got all these other kinds of TRPGs like uh, Call of Cthulhu, which is cosmic horror. You've got cyberpunk Worlds of Darkness, which is uh, vampires, werewolves, the gothic kind of thing. There's all kinds of science fiction, Traveler. Um, I wrote about Eclipse Phase. Um, of course, 40K is game, Warhammer 40K is Games Workshop's sort of space uh, tabletop role-playing game. That was in the 80s as well, late 80s, and it started off with Warhammer Fantasy. And then they said, let's add Space Marines, and that became Warhammer 40K. Before continuing with the Space Marines, I wanted to take a quick break to tell you about two things. The first is that this episode is very generously sponsored by the Dublin Literary Award, which has a really great shortlist of novels, and the award ceremony is next week. This is a very big deal in the literary world. The winner gets €100,000, so it's absolutely huge prize. And there are some really great books on the shortlist, so have a listen. Dublin Literary Award 2022 
the most valuable award for writing and translation in the world, will announce its 27th winner on May 23rd. Stories by French, Irish, Michisagig Nishnameg, Alderville First Nation Canadian, New Zealand and Nigerian authors have been chosen by library patrons all over the world, the people who know books best. For tickets to the Winner in Conversation event, go to dublinliteraryaward.ie. The second thing is, as I'm sure you already know, that this show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, home to some of the best Irish podcasts around. If you would like to support any of them, if you would like to support this show, you can become a member of Headstuff Plus and get lots of great bonus content for all of the shows of the network and lots of other benefits too. You can find out more at headstuffpodcast.com. And you could also, while you're there, have a listen to Fad Camp, which is a really good show. Grace and Connor, the two hosts, they talk about the absolutely insane world of dieting and diet culture in a way that is both really, really well-informed, really well-researched, but also very funny. So, yeah, have a listen. Check it out. Fad Camp is a comedy podcast about the ridiculousness of fad diets and diet culture, hosted by me, Grace Mulvey. And me, Connor Dowling. If you have a body of any kind, chances are you've crossed paths with at least one of the bizarre diet trends we cover in our show. And between me and Connor, we have done nearly every fad diet there is. Juice cleansing. Fasting. The potato diet. Which is actually a real diet, by the way, and we don't recommend it. So join us as we try to make sense of the madness that is diet culture. Find Fad Camp everywhere you get your podcasts and make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Fad Camp Podcast. So the rise in popularity of all of these different TRPGs, and Dungeons & Dragons in particular, can be viewed as a part of the more general, phenomenal rise of fantasy in the past two decades, in film, TV, computer games, fiction, and everywhere else. You can go listen to episode 33 of this very podcast, which is all about that topic. But what's also important is the T in TRPG. These are tabletop games, and there are obvious attractions to gathering together in person to play. The hardest part of role-playing games is getting the people together. It's getting the people, it's getting six people or five people to say, yes, I can be at that table at that time, and then people show up. So I, I think that embodied experience has been a big part of the, the tabletop role-playing game. I think when you, when you play it and you enjoy it, you get, I, part of the argument I make is you get a little touch of, of, the, of the enchanted experience, right? Of course, it's imagined. The LARPers, they really go out and try to <laughs> embody it, right? But I think that's what it does for you. It's, it's the magic circle for four, four hours at the table with friends. The LARPers that Professor Carbonell is referring to here, by the way, are the live action role players. So this is where you take the game away from the board and each player physically plays a character, dressing up in costume and acting everything out with the other players. Back at the table, though, the continued rise in D&D is part of a more general surge in interest in board games. I noticed that a lot of the people that were drawn to the 5th edition, which really was at the same time board games were starting to blow up on Kickstarter, is that they wanted to play the game not on a screen. But there's been a renaissance, right? That's what they call it, the board game renaissance in the last decade. Look at Kickstarter and see how many board games are, right? People want embodied connection. The board game industry is huge, worth about $12 billion, apparently, and is continuing to expand. There's demand not just for the classics, your Monopoly and Connect Four and all the rest, but for a whole world of indie games. 
many of which are funded on Kickstarter and other crowdsourcing sites. Hi, buddy. I sat down with Paddy the day before we both played our first D&D session. So would it be safe to say that you are part of the board game renaissance? I accidentally. um, Okay. Yes, uh, I, I am. So it all started a couple of years ago when myself and four other friends picked up Risk Legacy. Okay. I played some board games growing up. Uh, you know, we played quite a bit of Monopoly and things like that. But Risk Legacy was kind of where a new level of board game love came. <laughs> okay. So if you don't know what Risk Legacy is, it's you have to play the same game but over 15 turns. Uh, as in 15 times playing the full game. Of the traditional Risk board of game. Of the traditional Risk yeah, board okay. game. But it's slightly different. There are some new aspects of it. Um, and then the board changes and the rules change as you're playing each game. So then when you're playing the second game, anything that's changed from the first game continues on. Mm. And that goes all the way through through 15 games. Okay. So it took us nearly the guts of a year to sit down and play it 15 times. <laughs> um, but it was great. And then we were kind of hooked. Mm. And so like there's a world of board games out there, a lot of which are completely new. Like, So you're talking about some of the maybe reimaginings or new versions of older games, but there's like hundreds, thousands maybe of new games coming out all the time, right? All the time. So we we were definitely on the lookout for new games to play. And so one place where I was looking was Kickstarter. Mm. And that started a slight addiction. <laughs> so I started backing board games on Kickstarter early 2020. And so far I have backed 25 games. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> over, over two years. So you have all of these games now? You've played I haven't got them? all of them yet. Oh, some of them no. haven't come through. Some of them well, haven't yeah. come through yet. But I've got I've got a lot of them, mm-hmm. um, and it's fairly varied about the types of games that they are. So it's like from print and play, like that cost a dollar, okay, on Kickstarter, and that, that was basically like a one dollar Kickstarter campaign to fund their next Kickstarter campaign for the physical game. Okay, so really getting in there on the grassroots, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's like. Big games similar to the likes of Settlers of Catan or yeah. uh, Risk, sort yeah. of either co-op or two to five player kind of setup games, which you know I, I've so I've spent from a dollar to seventy dollars okay. on board games, <laughs> but worth every penny. Worth every penny. Um, <laughs> I like, think so. My wife is not too happy <laughs> with my current uh, my current spending. And have you ever played any tabletop role playing games? Dungeons and Dragons, Call of Cthulhu, these kind of ones, or not yet? Okay, um, you're hoping to change that. Hoping to change that. <laughs> um, yeah, Dungeons and Dragons has definitely been one of those games that I've known about for nearly the entirety of my life, mm. and I've never played. Yeah, um, because I think you need that one person to start everything off. Yeah, you know, uh, you need somebody that knows what they're doing and to set everything up. And I think I found that person. Thanks, Julie. What what do you think has caused the the board game renaissance? I think there's definitely that little bit of nostalgia and retro feel to it. So people trying to get off the computer, maybe. Even though I think like board games on consoles have kind of skyrocketed as well, mm. uh, especially over lockdowns. But yeah, 
I think in the same way that vinyl made a huge comeback, it's kind of the same for board games. Yeah. People like that tactile sensation of playing games rather than just playing on a console. Plus it's got everything else in like just like, just like vinyl where you've got like the really nice packaging. Uh, you've got little pieces or, you know, meeple that you uh, mm. that you play with. Um and yeah, I think it just definitely that nostalgia or tactile sensation of playing board games really just brings it back to your childhood. So there's definitely that nostalgic element, a desire to not be on a screen, to be interacting with people in person. Different people are drawn to the role-playing game experience for different reasons. So for example, I'm very literary. So I was drawn to the texts. It's a lot of, a lot of role-playing when you're younger is just you with the, with the campaign setting, waiting for your friends to come over, right? And I did that a lot. I would read. So I was drawn to that. And when I'm at the table, the kind of DM I am, I don't do voices. I, I'm very descriptive. I'm very, I try to be articulate. I try to create atmosphere with my words, right? And not everyone can do that. And, and, but some people, they're really good at voices and they like to embody a character and they'll sit down at the table and they stay in character. Which is where D&D and podcasting fit together very naturally. There are a whole host of actual play podcasts where people record their D&D and other game sessions for others to listen to. Sometimes this is in a very straightforward manner, and it's the world building and storytelling that's so engaging. And then in other shows, the hosts might be professional voice actors or improv comedians, or the podcast might be put together with music and intricate sound design. Whatever the case, it is yet another way that D&D has been adapted to become a part of contemporary popular culture. That's not to say that this cross-media mass popularity always translates well into cultural respectability. As Professor Carbonell explains in his book, there's still something of a blind spot when it comes to academic research around Dungeons & Dragons. Even within the field of science fiction and fantasy research, the importance of D&D can be easily overlooked. I was drawn to the to the archive, what, and that's that's where the really the book started to form, was when I realized, oh, I have these colleagues who are science fiction and fantasy studies experts, who have no idea about this archive, and this archive has been with us since the seventies, and has been a big part of the lexicon of what the fantastic is for a lot of players and especially people who've sort of transitioned from tabletop to computer gaming and they know, and they played all the different role playing games or they've read the, you know, varieties of different, of different high fantasy novels. And I think the barrier is gaming and, and there's, there is a, a um, sort of a prejudice that I have argued against in literary studies against play, that it's not childish, that, Play allows for the discovery of these subjectivities and allows you to enact them and allows you through that enacting to um, find voice. So where does this leave us? Well, firstly, D&D is bigger than ever. Estimates put the number of players worldwide at around 50 million. Ireland's actually one of the countries outside the US and Canada where it's most popular. At the centre of D&D is fiction. It starts with a set of texts and expands outwards with ever-widening circles of narrative, dialogue, character development and collective world-building. And yet, despite this, from a critical literary perspective, it's often overlooked, even dismissed, as a central fantasy text in its own right, and a hugely important source of inspiration, shaping so many authors' style and approach to storytelling. 
As a tabletop game, it's certainly part of a growing trend for tactile, nostalgic, screen-free activities. And yet it's very much central to the digital world too, from D&D podcasts to live streams on Twitch to virtual games played online with friends across the world. And it seems likely that future developments will harness the latest technology too. It's interesting because now we have something like the Oculus Quest, which is bought by Facebook. Have you seen these? These are standalone VR headsets, right? Where you can, in essence, have virtual parties, you know? And so my, intro, my well, my concern, what I want to see what happens is, will people try to socialize in, in an embodied space together with their VR headsets on, <laughs> right? Are they going to get together? Hey, let's have a, a VR party. And then everybody goes to the table. So what I think is going to happen is we're going to have glasses like you know, you'll have an AR glasses that Apple will release or something. And you can see through them, so it's mixed reality. You'll be able to see the person at the table, and you'll, but you'll be able to have augmented digital content. And that's going to be amazing for Dungeons & Dragons, because you're going to be able to sit at the table, and then you're going, to see, you're going to be able to see a 3D version of your character at the table that can be animated. Yeah, so this is, this is my old... I, so a combination of the, of the analog and the digital. Whatever the future holds for D&D, I'm definitely a convert. I mean, it wasn't a hard sell. I've always loved board games. I'm a fantasy fan. But the game was fun for so many reasons. The creativity and storytelling, the early beginnings of some collective world building, the shared adventure with friends. It's easy to see why campaigns can last months or years. And in the end, we just brought that belligerent goblin for a pint in the local inn. That's it for another episode of Words to That Effect. Thank you so much for listening. For more on this episode and for full transcripts, all previous episodes, links to follow the show on social media and lots more, you can head to the home of the podcast, which is at wttepodcast.com. You'll also find details of Professor Carbonell's work, including his book on this topic, Dread Trident, and a huge thanks to him for chatting to me for this episode. Thanks also to Paddy for his thoughts on the board game Renaissance and to the whole team at the podcast studios. Alan, Matt, Marissa, Claudia, Garod, and Paddy for the first of what I hope will be many D&D adventures, and to Julie, above all, for being the only D&D literate person in the room. Finally, if you'd like to support the show, maybe make a contribution towards buying a really nice set of D&D dice. We were playing with some particularly nice ones that Julie brought along. You can sign up to Headstuff Plus, and as a member, you'll get lots of nice things like bonus episodes, discounts on future live shows, and, you know, just generally get that warm, fuzzy feeling you get from supporting something you love. For details on how to become a member, go to headstuffpodcast.com. This podcast is recorded in the Podcast Studios Dublin with artwork by Matt Mahan, production support from Marissa Brown and promotional support from Claudia Grandes who has recently helped me put together some nice little short videos which are available on Instagram and TikTok and lots of other places so you can check them out. And that's it. I'll see you next time. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more 
or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. If you want to support this podcast and get a full ad-free episode, sign up to Headstuff Plus. Plus. 